So how was school today? Good. I pulled the chemistry lab. <laughs> no, you did not. Okay. How was choir? It was good. Moms have it so easy. I mean, their lives are fun, simple, and, and so rewarding. Sometimes I wish, instead of being the dad, I, I wish I was the mom. Ah, another day of pedicures, reading my magazines, and making myself beautiful. This is the life. Mom? Mom, tell him to stop copying me. Mom, tell him to stop copying me. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Mom, do something. Mom, do something. Are you serious? Are you serious? Mom, are you serious? Why did I ever ask you to help me? I should have known you couldn't fix my hair. I look like a freak. Look at me. Look at me. Hey, Mom, look at this. Look at me. Come on, Mom, look at me. Watch this, Mom. Come on, look at this. Watch this. Come on, look at me. Come on, Mom, look at me. Come on, Mom, look at me. Come on. Mom, I have a book report due tomorrow and I haven't read any of this. Mom, if you don't help me, I'm gonna fail school and be a loser forever. You don't expect me to read this all by myself, do you? You don't expect me to eat this, do you? Seriously, Mom, what is this? Mom, I'm not gonna eat this. Dad, please go out to eat, please. Hey kids, be nice to your mother. If I eat this, I'm gonna throw up. Mom, I said I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> Mom, I think I'm gonna be sick too. You're amazing. No, seriously. I don't know how you do it. I, I, I'm at a loss for words. Kids, come here, get in here, hug your mother. Tell her you love her. We're in the presence of greatness. Dad. Not now, dad's on a roll. This is God's greatest creation, kids. You're smushing my face. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry, because I don't say thank you enough. I mean, the truth is, I don't deserve you. We don't deserve you. And one day is, is not enough to honor you. We, we should honor you every day. But how do we say thank you to the woman that means the world to us? I know. We're gonna go right now and get you that vacuum cleaner you've had your eye on. <laughs> Nothing. Shh, 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 shh. Don't speak. This time. 
We're going name brand, baby. Come on, kids. Let's go make your mom's dreams come true. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I hope you all are having a great Mother's Day so far. I know I am. My, my sweet, dear husband gave me a card this morning, and when I opened it up, $20 fell out. <laughs> he got me. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> and he just started dying laughing, but he knows me well. He also got me a book, and he just knows me well. But I've already had a good morning. I hope you are, too. We want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers and all of the stepmothers and all of the grandmothers and aunts and, and everyone who pours in to the generations behind you. We just, we thank you so much. You are what the world, what makes the world go round. And um, as a token of our appreciation, after the service, Roger and Shorty will have hugs and kisses for everybody. So you can, you can look forward to that. <laughs> I don't, you have to see. Just, there lies the mystery. <laughs> See how happy Shorty is about it? <laughs> but for those of you who haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I'm the Women's Ministry Director here at Grace, and I'm blessed to get to bring the message this morning from Galatians chapter 3. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you will help us to, to set aside the chaos of the morning, Lord, the stresses of the week. Lord, that you will help us to set those things aside and to clear our thoughts and to focus on you and to hear what you're saying to each of us individually this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you will do that through me, Lord, that they will hear nothing but you. And we thank you and we praise you for this day, Lord, for all the mothers that, that have helped us in our lives, whether it's our mother or, or just a spiritual mother to us, Lord. We just thank you for placing them in our lives. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, the message is titled, Am I Good Enough? Am I Good Enough? If you've ever asked yourself this question, like I have, maybe you've been discouraged or you've been overwhelmed or you've made some bad choices and you've even began to doubt your salvation and wondered if you were good enough for God's love. But I want you to know that living for Christ can be messy, can be very messy, but you don't have to fix yourself and you don't have to do anything to make yourself worthy of God's love. This is what the Galatians were being convinced of by the Judaizers in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. The Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who believed that you had to uh, adopt all the Jewish customs and practices to be saved. And we've been talking about several of those over the past few weeks, but they include um, circumcision, eating certain foods that were considered unclean, uh, observing certain holy days. And somehow these Judaizers had convinced these Galatians that they needed to follow these laws and earn their grace, and that that was better, that this legalistic way of living was better than the way of grace. And I don't know how they would convince someone that. 
It doesn't seem like the logical choice, but then again, in our humanness, we often choose ways that we can elevate ourselves above others, that we can compare ourselves to others. Uh, and we compare ourselves in such ways as, you know, that we brag about how much, how many hours we devoted to the church, how much money we gave, um, how much time we spent in studying. And, and, and that ends up being boasting, just like Sam was talking about last week. And we're not saved by those religious achievements. We're saved by grace through faith. And we live by grace through faith. Many people think that faith means to believe. But actually it doesn't. It means to trust. Having faith in something means trusting in something. Having faith in Jesus goes way beyond believing. It's trusting. Because even Satan believes in Jesus, right? But he doesn't put his trust in him, right? And so I know a lot of people who believe in God, but they don't follow God. You know, it's like this chair. I believe in this chair. You probably do too, because it's actually here. It exists. It is an actual real chair. And so we believe in this chair, but do you trust in this chair? Do you trust in the chair enough to sit in it, you know, to put the weight of your body on it? Do you trust it to hold you? I obviously do. And I obviously also put my trust in Jesus. I trust him to support me and to hold me up. And he's already carried the weight of my sin to the cross, right? There's a difference, though. There's a difference in trusting and believing. So throughout this letter, Paul is trying to explain to the Galatians that trusting in Jesus and faith in Jesus is what saves them. And he's worried that all this talk of law-keeping as the key to their salvation is just going to divide them. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So you can sense in that first sentence that he's, he's frustrated here, right? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified meaning that Paul had preached the gospel so clearly to them that they could envision it. They weren't there when Jesus died on the cross, but they could visualize it because he preached it so clearly. Now, that's, that's good preaching right there. But they heard about it, and they believed it, and they were saved. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, the obvious answer to this, just like us, is that we received his grace, we received our faith just by believing, by trusting in him. And it was the moment that we believed. We didn't have to go get our life right before Jesus would accept us, right? We didn't have to do anything to earn it. There were no prerequisites. We didn't say, okay, I believe, now I have to go do this and this and this to earn my salvation. No, we receive the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ the moment that we believed and put our trust in Him, period. That's it. It wasn't Jesus and go do this and this. It wasn't Jesus and anything. It's just Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Verse 3, Are you so foolish 
After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So we were saved by grace, but now we think we have to go and earn our salvation? I received God's blessings by faith and by grace, and I hang on to them by grace. I continue to be righteous before God because of, I continue to trust in Jesus. And it's like this story of Roscoe. I want to share this story with you this morning. Let's say Roscoe comes to you and says that he is trying to read his Bible and become a better person so that God would forgive his sins. And you tell Roscoe the good news that Jesus died to save sinners. You share the incredible truth that we are saved by grace through faith and Roscoe gets saved. Then you tell Roscoe that now that he is saved, it is time to get busy working in the kingdom of God. First, Roscoe, you have to go to church on Sunday and tell the preacher so he can baptize you. After you've been baptized and joined the church, you must start attending all services. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, outreach on Saturday, and weekly small group. If you can sing, you need to join the worship team because if you don't use your gift, you will lose your gift. After establishing a habit of attending and serving in the church, you must develop a discipline of personal devotion, or what mature believers call a quiet time. Read the Bible every day, three chapters from the Old Testament and two from the New, so you can read the entire Bible through in a year. In addition to the Bible reading, you should start praying for 30 minutes every day. Early morning is best because you want to start your day with God. Now that you are saved, Roscoe, you must be a soul winner because this is the Great Commission. You should average at least one soul saved per month. Oh, and I almost forgot the most important thing. Here are your tithe envelopes because you must give 10% of your income to the church. Roscoe is now experiencing a grace hemorrhage. But you don't even notice the bleeding because these are the things that you've been attempting to do all of your Christian life. You've never been able to live up to that standard, but you would never admit that to anyone, especially a new believer. You secretly hope Roscoe will lose his enthusiasm and settle into a mediocre faith that doesn't make anyone nervous. After sharing the personal growth disciplines, you move to the next item of business, of acceptable behavior for a good Christian church member. These mostly consist of no's, no alcohol, or eating where they serve alcohol, no dancing, no tattoos, no tobacco, or gambling, unless you're in Kentucky because even God loves the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> no rated R movies, unless you wait for them to come out on DVD. No rock or rap music, no expensive jewelry or cars. No voting for anyone other than the candidate endorsed by the Christian right-wing conservatives. And at church, no drums, no electric guitars, no dinners in the sanctuary, no clapping, and the list goes on. And that list is nothing but legalism, but law-following, law-keeping. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you should or should not do any of the things in that list. What I am saying is that doing or not doing any of those things will not save you or keep you saved or make you any more or less worthy of your salvation. It's not by works. Verse 4. 
Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Now, this is what I love about Paul. Paul was so great at presenting his argument, at presenting his case. And if you know me very well, you know that all through growing up, all through high school, I wanted to be a trial attorney. And so I would sit and watch court TV for hours. <laughs> and I loved it because I loved the way that they, they manipulated the facts and they twisted things. And, and I loved the loopholes and I loved how they discovered all those things. And even today, I love to sit and watch the, the law and crime shows. And, and I love it when they bring in the surprise witness, you know, because that doesn't happen in real life. But they bring in the surprise witness and everybody goes, oh, you know, I love all that. I love all that. And Paul here, he's like, okay, the Judaizers want to, they, they want to quote the law and they want to bring in the law, so I'll quote the law and I'll bring in the law. And the Judaizers, they, they elevate Abraham, and so I'll use Abraham as one of my greatest examples, a surprise witness, so to speak. So in verse 16, he says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham was known as the father of faith. And God's covenant with Abraham was unconditional. So he required nothing from Abraham in return for his promise or for his favor. All Abraham had to do was put his trust in God. And if you look back at Abraham's story, he was not perfect at all. He made mistakes. He, he slept with his wife's handmaid. Okay, so for goodness sake, he was not perfect, but he was saved. He, he, it was because of his belief and because of his faith, not because of his perfectness, because of his faith that he was justified and blessed. And through him, all of us are blessed as well. But the Jews thought that to be a descendant of Abraham, that meant by blood and that you had to prove that through circumcision. But Genesis 18, 18 tells us that it was for everyone. It says, oh, that's not it. It says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. So now when we talk about the book of law, we're talking about the first five books of the, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those were believed to have been written by Moses, so they're also referred to as the Mosaic Law or the Torah. But we're not talking about just the Ten Commandments. We're talking about 613 laws. And the Old Testament law places a curse on anyone who does not follow those laws to a T. And Paul here in verse 10, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 28:26, where he says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. That's actually a quote from Deuteronomy. Verse 11, clearly no one relies, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. So like Abraham, we are declared righteous. We are declared to have right standing with God simply by faith. 
And then we live that out, we live that righteousness out by faith. And then our faith guides our living. But in verse 12, it says, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. So see, one of, one of the obstacles to the Jewish mindset was the way that the Savior died. Was that he died at all, and then the fact that he died on a cross, that he died on a pole. So his death and the way that he died, that didn't, that didn't meet the expectations of the glorious Savior that they thought was coming. Criminals were killed on crosses. So a very sincere Jew would be like, whoa, because in Deuteronomy, in the law, it says anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. So if a man is hung, if he's executed, it means he's a criminal. He's a sinner, put to death, a bad guy. Capital punishment. And so this, this guy that the Christians were declaring as the Messiah, as the Savior, was killed on a pole, on a tree. A sinner's death, a criminal, condemned. Jesus was executed by the law of the land. So you can see why the Jews would have a very hard time with this. You know, it's, it's like, well, you know, even if I wanted to believe, how do I get past this? You know, how do I get past this scripture? So Paul is trying to explain to them that Christ's death is the price needed to be paid to release man from the curse of the law. And so what is the curse of the law? The curse of the law was that everyone's sins were revealed by the law, and so everyone was condemned to death. But even knowing that, man was helpless to stop sinning, right? He was helpless to stop sinning or to remove that punishment that hung over his head. And that was the curse. The law didn't give you the power to stop or any way to appeal to God for mercy or forgiveness. And that's the curse. So the law revealed your sins and revealed what was going to happen to you because of your sins, but it didn't give you the power to overcome them and no provision for grace for your sins. And that was the weakness of the law. And so Jesus comes along and he annuls he annuls the curse in three ways. Number one, he lives a perfect life and fulfills the requirements of the law. And number two, he offers his life, his perfect innocent life, to pay the moral debt of all men according to the requirements of the law. And third, he promises to give us his Holy Spirit to all men to give them the power to overcome sin and death. So the curse is eliminated. Yes, he was crucified on a tree. And yes, it looked like he was a criminal, but the, the curse wasn't on him, it was on us. He took our curse, our punishment, on himself. And, and it was a shameful thing to die on a tree. But it was our shame that he innocently bore for us. And that's, that's the whole idea of atonement. Someone else takes the punishment for what we did. Jesus atoned for our sins. 
verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. The Gentiles were anybody that were not of Jewish descent. Through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith, not by works, not by law, by faith. Verse 15, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So God promised Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then about 430 years later came the law of Moses. And the Judaizers were implying that the law of Moses replaced the covenant between God and Abraham. And Paul's saying, no, it, it didn't change a thing. It didn't change anything. Because first of all, a third party can't come along years later and change what was agreed to between two people. For example, a will. If I were to make out my will and I said, you get my car and you get my house and you get my bank account. And then when I die, you know, the person that's reading off the will can't look in there and go, well, you know, that's a nice car. I think I'll mark off their name and put my name because I want that car. They can't do that. That's illegal. A third person can't come in years later and change a covenant that's made between two people. And that's what Paul is saying about this covenant with Abraham. Law doesn't change the thing. So verse 19, why then was the law given at all? So if salvation doesn't involve the law, then why was the law given in the first place, right? It says here in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise referred, had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Salvation by faith, well, that's possible. But salvation by law... That's not possible. Because listen, if Jesus, if Jesus said, hey, I got your past covered. I got it covered. You're good. From here on out, don't sin. Follow the law, and you can go to heaven. Well, we couldn't even do that, could we? Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, despite my best intentions, I'm going to walk out of here today and I'm, I'm going to sin by the end of the day. My parents have already fixed dinner. They fixed this extravagant meal. I hear their shortcake with strawberries and whipped cream. Gluttony is a sin. <laughs> All right? And I see it in my future. I'm doomed. I'm going to walk out of here and sin today. And so are you. 
if life and righteousness could come through, through the law, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. But he did die on the cross. He did die on the cross because we can't keep those laws. No one could keep those laws. And the Jews, they ended up worshiping the law so much that they rejected Jesus. Verse 23, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the law did have a purpose. Before we come to Christ by faith, God's law was the only thing that kept us from, from lawless chaos. Okay, It's like speed limits. What would happen if we didn't have any speed limits? Would we all just drive safely and cautiously and watch out for one another? No. We don't even do that now with speed limits. Right? But at least we know that we better watch out or we're going to you know, get a ticket and be punished. You know, Because the law is not gracious. The law is not gracious. Have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? They're not gracious. I got pulled over one time on a youth trip. Yeah. I had a 15-passenger van full of teenage girls. And we're going through Knoxville, like four lanes of traffic. And there's this police officer on the side of the road with his speed gun. And Sarah waves at him. I don't know why. But Sarah waves at him. And he proceeds to get back in his car and turn on his blue lights and come after us. So I pull over. And I tell all these girls, be quiet, do not talk, everybody be good. So they're all just hanging on every single word, you know. And the police officer walks up to the car and he says, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, honestly, officer, I really don't. Because I think I was just going like 73, 74. And he said, the speed limit is 55. <laughs> oh. oh, okay, you know. And he proceeded to give me a big old speeding ticket. And then I had to come back here and tell Pastor Dennis what I had done. And he said, church, don't pay speeding tickets. <laughs> so that was a $100 mistake I made that day. And after that, on every youth trip, we played a little game that I like to call Tell Teresa the Speed Limit. <laughs> and I never got another ticket. But the law shows the sinner his guilt. But grace shows him that forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. The law doesn't show us, that, or the law doesn't make us sinners, it just shows us that we are sinners. 